I'm so used to saying here on fourth and one. <laughs> so we've done like 60 of those now. Um, all right, here we go. Welcome to the 41 Files, the, uh, the in-depth podcast that looks at some of the stories uh, of the day, stories of the week here at KSHB. Uh, today, uh, you're stuck with me as your host because uh, Sam is still out of town. Taylor had to come in later today for a shoot, so it's just me. You, only, you got me, um, but that's okay. Not my first podcast, so I think we'll be okay. Joined in studio today by Miss Kat Reed, who is a regular uh, contributor on 41 Files, and Charlie Keegan. Uh, you're, you're normally the morning reporter, one of the two morning reporters. How, how, how many of these 41 files have you done, sir? I think this would be my fourth, uh, fourth podcast. All right, so you're not, you're not new to this either. So Right, but not a veteran like yourself or Miss Carrie. Well, this is only my second one because I only, I only pinch hit for Sam when Sam's out of town. So. But you're on you know, a different... Uh, I do. I, I host our Chiefs podcast with go. Nick Jacobs. I, I do do the fourth and one podcast. So I'm quite familiar with this studio. Um, and I must say, uh, no offense to Nick, but uh, uh, a little more cheery, cheery room today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'll take that. Smiles all around. So look, I mean, the big news of this week, of course, was the fire that erupted in Paris. And it sounds odd. To, you know, here we're talking about a local news podcast and we're talking about something that happened literally thousands of miles in, in an ocean away. But I feel like, it, you know, as, as we saw video of the fire tearing through the roof and ultimately collapsing the spire um, at Notre Dame Cathedral, I think it resonated with a lot of people. I know both of you guys have been there, as have I. Um, what, what was going through your mind, Kat, as you, as you watched what was unfolding? I mean, I think the first thing you think is just this is irreplaceable. That's, you know, the pain of watching it burn, especially watching the video of the spire going down. That's not something that you can can replicate, really. You know, you, you can rebuild, but it's not going to be that original historic structure. So I think that's what made it really sad to see. Well, and the, the symbolism, of course, of the spire, which was added several hundred years after its construction. I mean, the, originally it was built 856 years ago, but the spire was added in, in the 14th century, maybe, or, or maybe even later than that. And it was meant to be kind of reaching toward the heavens, you know, and it, it sits on this island in the middle of the Seine. Um, you know, it's one of the most iconic places uh, in Paris. When, when did you go, by the way, Kat? It's been a while. I was there, let's see, when I was eight is when I visited. And you're like, what, 22 now? So it's like 25. <laughs> so it's been 17 years since yeah. I've been there. All right. Now, Charlie, when, when, when did you go to visit? I went uh, 10 years ago in 2009. Yeah. Okay. I went when I was in college. Um, and that was 2000. So, so none of All us right. are recent visitors. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. No, yeah. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, I, you know, um, it's still one of the most memorable things that I did in Paris. Now, Charlie, what was your reaction as you watched the video? I mean, uh, my wife came home. My, my, my wife actually came home on, on, I guess, Monday afternoon and asked if I spent the afternoon crying. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, I was like, no, it wasn't quite that emotional for me. But, but uh, did you shed a tear, Charlie? No tears shed on my end. And it kind of takes a lot for me to shed a tear, uh, for better or worse. But, uh, I was kind of watching it in just total disbelief. Like, yeah. I, like I didn't like when I first first heard about it. I was like, oh, surely that's not 
really burning to that magnitude and then you see it and you're like oh okay this is the real deal and this is happening and you automatically think man i've actually stood inside that building before and 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 it's probably the most historic building i've ever stepped in front in you know in my entire life so to have that kind of colossal piece of history that i'm somewhat connected to uh burn before your eyes helplessly from thousands of miles away it yeah it, it takes a toll I mean, how many, I'm trying to think of other places that would kind of connect the world that way. Um, you know, I mean, obviously people are familiar with the, the pyramids of, of Egypt or... The Taj Mahal. Yeah, I was going to say the Taj Mahal in India, but I don't know. Maybe I, the I, Eiffel Tower right down the block. Yeah, yeah no but stone. I'm trying to think, I mean, other than, there's just a small handful of, of places, I think, that, I mean, look, there's there's three of us, you know... Midwestern kids who've all been to this one place, yeah. you know, um, before we, well, before, in some of our cases, before we hit 30, uh, well, all of us, I guess, went before we hit 30. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it just, it, I think that that, that, that it's kind of like, we talk about sometimes how like, like everybody is affected by traffic and everybody is affected by weather. So we all kind of, those stories tend to do well, like on our website, because everybody's impacted by it. It, it feels a little bit like this is one of the few instances where a news story really impacted everybody because so many people have either visited or you know someone who has been, you know, and, and I know I, it was an excuse for me to go dig through my old photo albums and, yeah. you know, and find the picture of the gargoyle that I took when I was up top and the picture I made some random person take of me with the Eiffel Tower in the background, you know, when I was um, up on top of the roof of, of uh, Notre Dame. Um, so what, what's been the most surprising aspect of, of this story to you? Just the way that it has, you know, affected Kansas City? Because, you know, we saw Union Station lit up um, um, in red, white, and blue, you know, obviously another historic building in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not as famous, maybe, as the cathedral in Paris. But, probably but, not. But close, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I mean, there, there were, you know, I, I know Tom Dempsey did a story about classes that were dedicated to it and stuff like that. Have you, have you been surprised at how, how deeply it's resonated, even in Kansas City, Charlie? I sure have been, yeah. I, I'm surprised by seeing people post their pictures on Facebook or Twitter or whatnot, and, and then even some of our... Uh, landmarks like Union Station did it, the the colors of the French flag, but uh, Union uh, the the World War One Museum and Monument put a Facebook post up with a quote from a French author and a picture of Notre Dame from its collection and talked about how it survived World War One and World War Two and and but then this fire got to it and the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art also shared a picture or a piece of art depicting the cathedral that it has in its collection and. And you know, said its heart, you know, is bleeding for France and those people. So it's really been a surprise to me how many people are feeling that here in in Kansas City. Is this the point where you speak French for us, Charlie? Right. Charlie's fluent. Oh, I, he he did. He busted out some really nice French when, we, <laughs> when I approached him about the possibility of coming on to discuss this story. Right. Yeah. So yeah. C'est un très grand dommage que la cathédrale de Notre Dame de Paris est détruite dans cette uh, uh, tragédie. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. I, I caught that uh, the fire was a tragedy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just such a shame that the cathedral was, you know, destroyed in this tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it is one of those things where everyone has a story or their family member has a story. So I was kind of amazed by the magnitude by just by looking at my social media um, feed of how many people were posting. Yeah. It, it, here in Kansas City, what would you say is the most iconic building here that 
you know, I mean, obviously it wouldn't probably resonate internationally, but you know, if there was a building in town that you would put on that level or that, that you would be the saddest to see go up in flames, is there something that jumps to mind here in Kansas city? I know you're, you've, you grew up here just like right. I did, Charlie. So, yeah. Well, maybe just because I just said it out loud, but the World War One monument, just yeah, with the giant down, spire, that, that kind yeah. of uh, yeah. smokestack or whatever, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, kind of amazing term. too because we think of Union Station as something that's been this treasure for so long, but really the massive, you know, renovation effort didn't happen until pretty recently. Yeah, in, last in couple history. decades. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah in the grand scheme of things. So, um, I think Union Station, but I, I really think probably the Nelson. I'm partial because our station is right next to it and we see it all the time. And I just think of Kansas City when I see the Nelson. Well, there was a time, though, that a lot of locals would have been happy if those shuttlecocks on the lawn had caught fire. But I think now, even now, I mean, it's just kind of like, eh, we got to wear this one, man. Oh, yeah. It's become a (laughs) symbol of Kansas City. Yeah, like literally, like every time the NFL comes to town, like there's the obligatory shot of the Nelson Atkins lawn. But I I agree. There's something stately the way the Nelson Atkins sits on the hill um and and i think that's the one place maybe union stations up there a little bit too because obviously you've got the bullet holes in the front from when it used to be an active train station and you know there were mob shootouts there but but there's so much if you've ever been to the nelson eck and there's so much history and it's actually got a pretty great collection um to go see i I know my favorite painting um is in there um it's called poplars at aaron yee um i liked i used to when I, i haven't been in a while but i used to go visit it um, and just pretend like I was sitting alongside the little brook depicted in the in the picture, and it was very very relaxing. Um, it was a very meditative place. I should go for one of those fifteen for me um, yeah. things with this little challenge we're doing, a wellness challenge we're doing here at work. I should just go sit there on my lunch break today. Stress reliever. That's right. Stare at that picture and then and then go you know log on and, and count it as one yeah. so that my team can win. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the Nelson, um, you know, even though obviously it's changed with the block building that runs along the side and stuff like that, the, the Nelson may be the one that sticks out to me as as the 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 most the most history and the most majestic building that we have here. So not to not to mention everything that's inside of it, you'd hate for all that oh. to burn. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable collection. And it was. Do you think that that Notre Dame? I mean, look, it, it sounds like they declined to put a sprinkler system in, and there are a lot of other places um, that you know, have, have retrofitted, you know, like fireproof rooms that could have, you know, that could have contained it. Cause obviously, um, construction code in the, you know, in the 13th century, century yeah. when it was completed, not quite the same yeah. as it is here in the 21st century. <clears throat> you know, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of dry wooden beams and stuff. And one of the things that makes the, the, the structure so impressive with those vaulted ceilings, when you go in and it, it seems like the building reaches all the way to the heavens, um, also made it, almost impossible to fight the fire. They basically right. had to wait for it to tear through the roof so they could get uh, water cannons to it, um, you know, which which kind of complicated battling the fire and probably made the, the damage even more. Do you think that they were negligent in not including, like, you know, some sort of fire protection or, or you know, retrofitting something so that a catastrophe of this magnitude didn't happen? It's so hard to retrofit some of these structures just because of the way that they were built. And, you know, sometimes even installing it could, you know, create other issues with with the structure itself. So I think some of the greatest minds in the world were working on making sure that structure stayed safe. And so as as someone who's not an expert on this, it's hard for me to point a finger and say they didn't do enough. Yeah, I would agree with Kat. Yeah. Yeah. after it happens, it's easy to say, oh, well, I don't know what they're thinking, not putting a sprinkler in there, but yeah, I'm sure they had their reasons. Yeah. And it's, 
I've been interested. It's been very interesting to me to see the international community. I think that I read somewhere like the fashion community has already, you know, agreed to donate like seven hundred twenty-five million or something like that to yeah. restore it. So isn't Dior leading some sort of yeah campaign? Probably. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's been really interesting is. As that's been happening, there's been a parallel movement through Twitter um, where there was a journalist who tweeted about some of the black churches in the South that were recently destroyed by an arsonist here in the United States. And um, someone saying, tweeting out, um, it was actually, it was uh, Yashir Ali tweeted out that, you know, I know everyone loves Notre Dame, but we have these churches who don't have the backing of the Catholic Church and the funding that comes with that. Please consider donating to rebuilding these here yeah. in the United States. And they have gotten a ton of donations since that started going viral on Twitter. So I think it's kind of interesting that there's been a parallel movement. I mean, I think a lot of people will be donating to Notre Dame, but they do have a lot of funding. Uh, no, through the church, Catholic Church has has a little money, is my understanding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I well, between that and and you know President Macron promising that they're going to, um, you know, rebuild it. Uh, I, I'm not sure that funding is going to be an issue for mm-hmm. for Notre Dame. I really I really don't think that um, that's going to be an issue. I think that the, you know obviously they will rebuild it. So are you look are you guys looking forward to? I mean, obviously you don't have children yet, but. Assuming that maybe one day you guys do have families, um, taking your your children back to to there, and then you know discussing when you went and visited as a kid, and you know and everything that has gone on this week um, as it relates to um, you know what you may tell your future children. Oh, absolutely! I think that it's one of those moments that you don't forget. Those where were you when you saw this, or what was the video like? I think we'll be recounting this for years, and I can definitely see myself going back. Um, I saw another really touching story through social media about a woman who went every five years with her husband, and he, um, you know, had just passed away this past year, young, unexpected. And so she's preparing to go back again for the first time without him. So I think that a lot of people will be having those um, touching kind of pivotal moments going back. Yeah, yeah I would definitely go back to Notre Dame or would like to, you know, down the line and yeah, show the next uh, generation of Keegans, uh, you know, all about it. That's a beautiful sounding. The next generation of Keegans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are you going to name him? Are you going to name him after your brother Harrison? Right, or uh, yeah, maybe Quasimodo in honor. <laughs> oh. of, uh, oh. of, um, yeah, and you, you know what? Rather than saddling your child with Quasimodo, maybe stick with like Victor or Hugo. Uh, there that you that go. might be a little bit, you know, a little bit less uh, better choice. You might have to spend less in therapy if you pick one of those names. <laughs> As a side note, just a quick update. So the churches, they were in Lafayette, Louisiana, and it says on the GoFundMe that in six days, they have raised $1.2 million to help restore these three historically black churches that were burned. So mm. people are donating to that. That's kind of a cool like side note to that. And, and yeah. it also speaks to like you know um, the generosity of, of the American people when, you know, um, when challenged, I think so. Definitely. Right. Speaking of generosity, um, let's talk a little bit about independence when we come back. Uh, we're talking about uh, Independence City Council, and, and I, I alluded to the, the generosity of the council. And, and what I mean by that is they never uh, fail to provide a shortage of juicy headlines. Um, um, they are very generous in that regard. Um, the latest, uh, for those who haven't paid attention, Independence um, 
has had a big issue with uh, the its power company. Um, you know, like they have been a lot of there have been a lot of high bills going, dating back to last summer. Customers very very upset. Um, they switched to uh, you know they switched their billing system and stuff like that, and all of a sudden customers were getting hit with like twelve hundred dollar monthly bills um, just for electricity and things like that. Um, and then there was I think there was an issue where some people weren't being billed properly in one month, and then they were getting hit with like double bills the next month. And of course. It happened right in the middle of the summer, right in the middle of a drought, when it was very hot and people's air conditioners were running a lot. And, and it, it, it really outraged a lot of people there. Um, and then the latest um, development in that situation is independence, like a lot of cities, uh, you know, suburbs around town, decided that they – or was investigating a switch to smart meters. And, and actually, most suburbs already have these. Um, and so instead of having somebody who physically comes – goes house to house um, each month – and looks at how many kilowatt hours you have used and writes it down, and then you pay based off that. It's uh, you know, it's all done digitally. It's all collected, you know, through Wi-Fi and stuff like that. It's supposed to be a much more efficient system, uh, much more accurate system. Um, and so the city council, just to keep get you guys up to speed, had this. They 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 were proposing this thirty million dollar. Um, you know, solution or this contract for $30 million to go to these smart meters. And then they tabled it and decided not to do it. And then two weeks later, with no warning, without putting it on the agenda and without giving the public to give the public an opportunity to come speak about it, they just randomly passed it again. And, and much to the chagrin of a lot of people in the city who then turned out and forced at the next meeting. And Kat, you were, you've been covering this story a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just what's your sense of the way the independent city council has handled this issue, um, you know, from the jump? Well, first of all, I can tell you people who live there, the people who I spoke with are very much not happy about how it was handled. Um, so to be clear, the, the debate over this has been happening for almost two years now that they've been looking into this. And um, earlier this month, as you mentioned, they actually they actually voted on it and it didn't pass. Okay. So it was it was no. And then two weeks later, it comes up, as you mentioned, not being on the agenda, and it passes. And on a 4-3 vote, too. Yeah, and yeah. It, te- it technically is allowed by their rules. The way that this happened is allowed. But it being allowed versus it being right is something that a lot of citizens are, are questioning now. And so this past Monday was the first time they had the opportunity to address their elected officials in a council meeting since the vote happened. They were fired up. They had their signs. People were holding up flip-flops to, you know, like symbolize a flip-flop council. Someone said Harry Truman would be disgusted by this. Actually, that was my favorite line. I, I was like invoking the Harry Truman. Uh, listen, Harry Truman <laughs> Inspector was invoked several times by <laughs> several speakers. So he came up a lot. But um, other people, someone had a sign that had Homer Simpson sitting drinking a beer and it like referenced one of the councilmen and said, you know, like Kurt Doherty had a business meeting about a bid in quotation marks um, because they're questioning why certain council members' votes changed in that two week period. So It was a very hostile and contentious meeting. Uh, At one point, the mayor even stopped and went over and talked to the police chief and then came back to the to her microphone and said, you know, if people keep interrupting, I will have the police chief escort you out. So it got very heated for sure. Do you 
do you kind of sympathize with with the people, especially with with the building situation they've been through, and now you know, kind of a it feels like a, a bit of a shady, underhanded tactic for them to um, bring it up, you know, kind of under the you know in the cloak of night um, to not even put it on the agenda and bring it up for vote. So do, do you do you feel for the people of Independence and the way their council is, is kind of um, almost you know backhandedly making these deals? I definitely see where they're coming from, because even though they have had an opportunity to debate this time and time again, still, you want to know when a vote is happening, especially on a a topic of such significance to so many people. I think that people want that. And in fact, uh, one of the council members, uh, Karen DeLucy, she was so upset about how this happened that she's proposing a rule change to prevent future votes from even happening like this. So it's not just people in the community. There are people on the council itself who say, I don't like the way that this went down. In fact, she called it a mockery of democracy. So uh, it's not limited to people who are sitting in the audience. Do you get a I mean, what is the likelihood, do you think, that change will come come about from this? I mean, because this is not the first time we've seen independent city council uh, you know, have issues um, with transparency, mm-hmm. have issues with the way they conduct their business. Um, do, do you have any hope that, that this will will actually spur some change that'll make the council a little bit more accountable to the citizens there? I do think that the rule change would be beneficial. And I think, I believe that there's probably enough support for that to get through. When it comes to the smart meters themselves, uh, citizens are, they started a petition. They need to garner, they need to gather about 3,800 signatures by May 6th 6th, um, to put this on the ballot in August so that the people can vote on it. And I think that that would be a a huge accomplishment for this group. And if we really want to see how people in independence feel about smart meters, what they think of this plan, that's the most surefire way to do it. There are also council members who agree with that. Tom Van Camp uh, at the meeting tried to just go ahead and put forth a motion to go ahead and put it on the ballot, regardless of what the petition says. He ended up being, um, that didn't pass. That was shut down. But I think that it would be, huge for them if it was on the ballot and give people a lot more confidence if smart meters do pass of knowing we had our say. And and to be clear, I, I don't get the sense that this is really about smart meters. I mean, ultimately, I think there, you know, there'll, there'll be some jobs lost as a result of this. And there's obviously some upfront uh, infrastructure investment. Uh, but if the council is to be believed, they'll break even after eight years and actually save like $44 million in 15 years through this process. Um, so they'll actually save more than they're spending because it's a $30 million contract that they're talking about. So do you get the sense that this is less about smart meters and less and, and more about, um, you know, having trust and confidence in a city council that has, you know, in a lot of ways, um, you know, kind of cut off their nose despite their face when it comes to the way that they deal with with the citizens over there. You know, I think that's part of it. But I do think actually the thing I've learned is smart meters are a big part of the concern as well for these people. Um, The main fear that I'm hearing from people in the community is that their bills are going to go up to pay for the installation of smart meters. Um, Now, the mayor says that that is not going to happen, but some of these people really aren't swayed by that. They won't kind of believe it until they see it. Uh, there's also a kind of fringe uh, group of folks who are concerned about 
cybersecurity with smart meters and health concerns, which the World Health Organization um, has done some research on smart meters, but really there hasn't been a lot of scientific research uh, on any health impacts that they would have, at least not from a so are they Are they worried about like the Wi-Fi signal and They're causing brain the cancer? They're worried about signal and exposure to that and, and health issues from it. Mm. So... And obviously, that's one of those things. Correlation, causation is very difficult to study with any of those things. Um, I've heard that concern raised in other cities as well uh, as they were talking about smart meters. But it's just really hard. There's not much research on it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Personally, I would be less concerned about that or less concerned about somebody hacking the smart meter to jack up my <laughs> my yeah. bill. I, yeah. I also feel like uh, if there's any sort of intelligence built into these things, that that would be a pretty easy. If, if I got hit with a $900 bill and I usually pay 100 to 150 a month, I feel like uh, that would be a red flag in that the city would work with me. But maybe people in independence don't have that confidence. I, I, don't, I think that they don't. <laughs> After <think> last year. <laughs> well, and that's what a lot of people said. They're like, look at how the transition to this new billing system went. Like, how do we think smart meters are going to be rolled out? How do we think that's going to go? So I've heard that as well. I think it's a combination of factors. There are some people who are really concerned about smart meters themselves. Um, a lot of people are concerned about costs with smart meters, but then also just the way that it's been handled by city government. Charlie, does this remind you at all of the controversy that Kansas City went through with its water and sewer, where they just kind of doubled people's rates a couple of years ago, and, and people were just like, what the, what just happened? Right, yeah. <laughs> Any kind of, anytime a, a citizen has to pay more for a service that they had, had been used to paying a kind of a generally set amount, then yeah, it's going to rally up for sure. I mean, and... <laughs> I think it's the it's always the transparency for me, right? It's always if you know it's coming and they've explained it, or if you've had a chance to vote on, like because Kansas City voters have actually been you know pretty generous when when they said, hey, we need four hundred million dollars for sidewalks and street street improvements a couple of years ago, the, the people stepped up and agreed to pay for those bonds, right? Um, Via you know, vote. yes, correct. And so when when people get the option and, and know that it's coming and are able to vote for it, it seems like. People generally pass it. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time, you know, especially in Johnson yeah. County area, stuff like that, that a school bond didn't pass when the school said, hey, we need money for this. People mm -hmm. seem to be willing to pay more if they know why it's happening, where, you know, and the process through which it happened. It, it's really more when, when a council just steps up and kind of, um, you know, says, says, eh, we're going to double your bill. It's kind of like, whoa, time out, pump the brakes here, you know? So what, what, what do you pay every month for your power? Uh, well, I just moved to a studio, and my last bill was $36 for electricity. Yeah. So. It's clearly not an independence. Right. No. <laughs> I've had kind of bad experiences. Well, I live in an older building that's exceptionally drafty, and I've put the insulation on the windows and everything, but I keep my apartment at 68 degrees in the winter, and in January, it cost me about $130 to do so, and it's a one-bedroom, so... Is that... Do you have an electric furnace then, or...? Yeah. Okay. Because, see, I have a gas furnace, so mm. mine always... I have a gas furnace and electric air conditioner, so... One's oh, always yeah. really cheap and one's always really high. And then as, as the seasons change, they kind of reverse. But at the end of the day, I usually pay about $200 a month for gas and electric because my wife, uh, a little more particular about uh, what, temper the, uh, what temperature the house is kept at. Got it. <laughs> I like it cool. I like to keep it cool, you know? I do too. We, just, I, we have an old house that's built in the 50s and there's this one bedroom where our youngest child sleeps that doesn't get great uh, ventilation. Oh, yeah. So 
um, you know, she's always very concerned about uh, about that child. So. Oh, consider it. I don't know if concern. You know, she wants to make sure everyone's uh, comfortable. Yeah. No, it's fine. I mean, look, happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> there you go, Tom. All right. Hey, we're gonna come back and and, and quickly talk about one final topic here on. I almost said fourth and one, but this is the forty one files podcast. Welcome back to the 41 Files Podcast. For those of you watching on Roku, um, have no fear. Um, Kat didn't disappear. Um, she had to step out. She's got uh, some interviews to get get to this afternoon, and so we're going to let her make her way. And then Charlie and I are going to wrap up uh, today's segment talking about um, Carney Middle School. And there was uh, a lot of uproar over the weekend and, and into this week uh, because supposedly a student... Uh, put together a kill list and had um, repeatedly made threats to another student that about how he wanted to kill him. Um, and the district um, said that they had been in contact with, uh, you know, with all the parents of the students involved and that they were taking measures in accordance with their policy and stuff like that. That did not stop the outrage of other parents who felt like they had a right to know that this threat existed um, because obviously very Sadly, we live at a, at a time and place where, um, you know, school shootings happen. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, whether you want to talk Columbine, um, whose what twenty year anniversary is is coming up yeah. uh, this weekend, right? Um, or whether you want to talk, uh, you know, about um, what happened in Connecticut or what happened in Parkland, Florida. I mean, sadly, there's so many of these instances um, that you can point to. And, and and even here in the Metro, I mean, just last spring, it was about, it was a little over a year ago now that there were some students that had guns on campus, at least some at high school. Right. Um, and terrifyingly, um, uh, fortunately in that situation, they, they were caught before anything happened. But one of the students we know had been kicked out of the school and, 10 months later is now charged with first degree murder in a shooting. So it's not like that, you know, uh, it's, right. it's not in hindsight, that's that situation looks like it could have been a lot scarier than, than what it ended up being too. So, well said. um, um, you know, we're not immune to this. And do you understand Charlie? Cause you picked up the coverage on Monday talking Correct. with, um, some of these upset parents right. as school resumed because, Parents didn't find out about the threat till Friday night when the Kearney Police Department posted something out there. Do you understand where this, these parents' outrage comes from, or do you feel like it's a little misplaced? No, I get, I get where they're coming from, for sure. If you have a child that you entrust to a school for six, eight hours a day, you want to make sure that they're in a safe place and that they're, they're, you know, everything about their safety and security is accounted for and, and that... you. Uh, the school's transparent with you about every kind of possibility or threat or circumstance that could happen. So I definitely understand why parents were uh, concerned. But I do also see the. Flip I was going to say you also it. talked to the superintendent, yeah, right? I talked and, to the and superintendent who said that you know their policy is to investigate these kinds of um, threats that they receive when they receive news of a possible threat that they look into it and they don't want to notify everybody all at once because they don't want to you know cause the entire town to, to create a to, panic to create a panic exactly and go 
go nuts and take their kid out of school in the middle of the day and things like this because uh, oftentimes or in a lot of cases, the district told me that these threats are not credible, that a student just says something and has no intention to actually follow up on it. And so the school district likes to investigate and confirm whether or not the threat was credible or non-credible before then telling the uh, the uh, parents of the students who were not involved. So in this particular instance, what's your understanding of of how credible the threat was and what the district um, has done to try to ensure the safety of students there at Kearney Middle School? Well, uh, Superintendent Dr. Bill Nicely told me that the threat was, in fact, not credible. and uh, that Meaning that he didn't actually, the student right. didn't ha- actually have a kill list. It wasn't like, right. what, what was it, Happy Gilmore or... or or Billy Madison, yeah, Billy Madison, Billy Madison yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, where you know where Steve Buscemi's character had had a list of people from high school that right. he uh, you know wanted to get that no that didn't exist right. correct or at the, least that's what the investigation supposedly has found as far as the from what we're hearing from the superintendent yeah as a, a different student uh, posted on Snapchat over maybe Friday night or over the weekend that this student in the focus had created a kill list so. Everybody saw that Snapchat post that said there's a kill list and kind of ran with it. But the superintendent told me, in fact, there was never actually a physical list with names on it that they were going to, uh, you know, be threatened. In fairness, though, I mean, Saturday when another reporter of ours, Nick Starling, um, was first investigating this story. Nick's on vacation in Florida. Otherwise, we'd have had him come in here and and bring his, uh, you know, put his two cents in, too. But um, initially... Um, the principal of Kearney Middle School did send out a letter to parents indicating that there was a hit list slash kill list. So um, the district can say that this was fueled by social media, but they were just as guilty a little bit sure. uh, of fueling it, I think, uh, you know, and maybe put that out prematurely before the investigation had been complete. That's exactly what I was going to say is, yeah, the, the, the sounds like they didn't really wrap up their investigation until Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So, um Maybe the, the the letter from the principal could have been a little more worded, uh, <laughs> you know, vaguely or carefully. I don't know, but um, but yeah, the, from what I understand is that uh, they when they investigated over the weekend, they got that they came to that conclusion, and then they took extra precautions, no matter what, anyway, to bring more police on campus on Monday. And the student that the focus of this wasn't at school on Monday, and they've uh, are dealing with with that child. But um, and he's before he, he he did get suspended uh, a little bit, is my understanding, and then he also has to undergo a mental health assessment and and some right. other things before he comes back, right? So, yep. do you feel like the district has done enough in this case to protect the, the the wider student population? It sounds like they've done, yeah, what they what they normally would do, or what the yeah, protocol they, they got stands police for. Involved they got the police involved. They had extra cops on campus that day. They took the child who's the center of this out of the school for those days. So I think that that's a good thing. Uh, obviously, what the parents are worried about is the lack of communication about maybe everything that yeah. they're doing. And uh, the fact maybe they could have better alerted parents that they were at least investigating uh, some sort of possible threats, uh, even though they maybe weren't true threats. So the district has kind of also alluded to the fact that in light of this, they are kind of reevaluating their policy. Did, did they? Did uh, the superintendent shed any light on on what that reevaluation will entail, and whether they intend to be a little bit more forthcoming uh, with parents to avoid creating a similar situation in the future? Right. Well, uh, first of all, Doctor Nicely, the superintendent, did apologize to parents. You know, through me, saying that he was sorry for causing any kind of stir or or uh, losing any trust that 
parents might want to put in him and in the school district and the schools of Kearney. So he was apologetic. But he didn't point to any kind of specific changes he was going to make or was going to ask the school board to make. He did say, though, that the lessons that he's learned or taking away from this past weekend's scenario will influence his decisions and actions in the future should another situation like this come up. So I would assume it'd be safe to say that he would handle things differently in the future. But as far as a uh, documented policy or procedure yeah, on nothing the books, concrete yet. he hasn't uh, given me that. Indication. Yeah. So well, anyway, the good the good news is that uh, it it sounds like every all is well at Cardi right. Middle School, and it sounds like over the last couple of days the furor has died down a little bit. So right, I haven't heard much more about it. And then I will say that there's plenty of people in the school district who uh, and school system who support kids and are very happy, you know, to to have a, a good school district. And they put signs up outside of Carney Middle School on Monday morning, right where the students get off the bus, that had nice messages about. You know, uh, we care about you. You are awesome. Uh, principals love hugs or, or I mean, things along those lines, you know, so that the kids were uh, could feel like they were in some sort of normal uh, scenario as they came back to school after a weekend of uh, rumors and worry and trepidation and anger. Did that make you want to make signs and stand outside as people come in for their, their shift and like... You know, wave to him and be like, right here at 41. Like, Morning reporters like hugs or something. No? <laughs> you know, I didn't didn't uh, think about that coming back here. <laughs> Not All my right. style, but All right. All right. <laughs> makes it maybe it works better for sixth and seventh graders than uh, adults. I don't know. I mean, I think people around here need hugs too, Charlie. Yeah, a little encouragement goes a long way. <laughs> I know Kevin Holmes, uh, our new uh, evening anchor, yeah. evening and 10 o'clock anchor, big hugger. No doubt about it. So have you, have you been on the receiving end of a Kevin Holmes hug? I sure have. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah, they're good. Me too. Yeah. Now, Kevin Holmes is an excellent hugger. Yeah. Kevin, shout out. We're going to have to get Kevin on the 41 Files podcast I sometime would be a great to do an investigation into hugging and <laughs> like hug therapy, you know, because they say that like, you know, a good long hug, a 20 second hug, um, you know, is as good as like a, you know, seven glasses of wine for relaxation oh, or something, right? Yeah. Right. Something like that. I think that's, I think that's an official. Kevin aims for 17 second hugs. There he you has go. the stop clock. Yeah, he yeah. puts it at 17. So there yeah. must be some sort of uh, scientific reason behind that. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good time. So anyway, be sure to check out Kevin, uh, uh, in the evenings, uh, and then get up early to watch Charlie in the mornings. Uh, he's one of, he and Ray Daniel do a great job finding stories, helping you get your day off to a great start. Um, and you guys are on what, four to like eight or Oh no! Five to eight is when five we pop eight. up, okay. but the newscast begins at four thirty. Where yeah, they usually give us that first half hour off. Yeah, to go to go get in position. And, there you go, and you know, dr- down a couple couple gallons of coffee, so you're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an early alarm that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, what time do you normally go to bed, Charlie? Eight thirty p.m. Eight thirty. All right. Yeah. So man, and then wake up a little after two thirty, get my six hours of sleep every day. Well, the good news is. Um, the good news is that you're not missing much when it comes to the last few innings of Royals games this exactly. year. Exactly. So you, you get to watch the good part, right. and then you're asleep by the time the, bowl the meltdown happens. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I can read about it the next day. There you go. All right. Hey, Charlie, thank you so much. We'd also like to thank Cat Reed for joining us. We hope you guys enjoyed this edition of uh, the 41 Files. Hopefully next week, Sam and Taylor will be back, and you won't have to put up with me anymore. <laughs> 